Is your money working as hard as it could be for your future? A decade ago, Robinhood changed the investment landscape when they pioneered commission-free stock trading. Today, they continue to offer innovative products to help users build a better financial future, like IRAs, ETFs, options for qualified traders, and much more. Take control of your financial future with Robinhood. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. That's Robinhood.com. Disclosures. Investing involves risk. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIP. PC is a registered broker dealer. Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. On today's pod, we will talk invasive species because a new study shows that those lantern flies you keep seeing everywhere are part of a much bigger problem. And it's well past five o'clock in Tokyo. So Toby and I are going to pour a cold land shark and discuss the late Jimmy Buffett's business empire. Then we'll break down the mud and madness of the Burning Man Festival this year before turning to the diamond market where rough cut gems are facing an existential threat from a less price competitor. It's Tuesday, September 5th. Let's ride. Okay, Neil, it's Tuesday. We're coming off a long weekend. Give me one rose and one thorn from it. Okay, so we haven't, first of all, we haven't discussed this before. So these are completely organic reactions. I don't have any thorns. It was <laughs> utterly delightful. Uh, I'll have two roses real quick. I saw John Legend at Tanglewood. Whoa. Uh, yeah, see? You did not know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, and Tanglewood's this like beautiful music venue in the Berkshires. And he was, he, you know, he's got a great voice. I wish he had a little bigger band behind him, and, but he shared his story. He's got a super fascinating story. Cool. And the guy's got incredible pipes. So just <laughs> a, a very delightful evening. Lots of cheese, lots of wine. Another rose, I guess I would say pool, lots of pool time. Oh, like literally lounging? Like, like us, yeah. But I, oh, it's not lounging. Like when I'm at a pool, I real I realize that five minutes in, like I need to do something competitive. So it's either like, let's see how far I can swim back and forth underwater, or we've got this beach volleyball. Let's see how many times we can keep it up in the air. Like, can we hit two hundred? I was gonna say you're looking a little sunkissed too. So I'm glad you had some nice lounging. All right, hit me. Uh, my rose was <laughs> I slept in legitimately till twelve thirty p.m. yesterday. I have an app that calculates my sleep debt which is how many hours of sleep I owe my body. It was sitting at 20, a 20 hour deficit before this past weekend. So I just caught up on there. And then my thorn is I actually lost my wallet this weekend. Oh. So it's, yeah. It's all on your phone now anyway. I know. I've, it's been amazing. I've been able to survive without my wallet for like the last three days, but eventually. So if anyone's got wallet recommendations, I'm in the market for it. All right, Neil. All right, Neil, let's jump into our top story of the day. While you and I were having wholesome weekends, like the good podcasters we are, there was a whole group of people having a big old party in the desert. I'm, of course, talking about Burning Man, the yearly festival that brings together an eccentric crowd of, from tech moguls to celebrities for a multi-day festival deep in the Nevada desert. Now, the core tenets of Burning Man are self-sufficiency and self-organization, and those values were put to the test this year after two to three months of rain fell on the festival in a matter of days, leaving 72,000 people stranded in mud thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. Social media was awash this weekend in rumors that things were dire and food and water were running low. There were rumors of an Ebola outbreak, which turned out to be completely false. Even the president was briefed about the situation at one point. But yesterday's Yesterday, organizers finally gave the so-called burners the green light to leave as the roads cleared, the mud became passable. All this to say, Neil, that this is one of the more conspicuous burning mans in recent memory, and it's clear that this once small counterculture gathering is much bigger these days. Definitely much bigger, uh, but 
if there was anybody that could survive a huge mud <laughs> mud situation in the desert, it is. I think they call themselves burners because mm -hmm. one of the one of the ten principles of Burning Man is radical self reliance. So you, there were a lot of interviews with people who were there, and they're like, "Yeah, this is no big deal. Like, so what if the toilets are overflowing? Like, I've got enough alcohol, I've got enough food to to keep me through a few days. Like, this is exactly what <laughs> we were prepared for." I think the you know you've seen a transformation in Burning Man over the the past few years from a countercultural festival for hippies that started in San Francisco in the 80s to uh, a more seen or be seen event with uh, techs, with tech moguls, celebrities become super popular in Silicon Valley. So maybe these people who came in on their air conditioned RVs or private jets were a little more taken aback and were not prepared. And one of the most famous stories from this past weekend was Diplo and Chris Rock were at Burning Man and Diplo had it had a uh, DJ set in Washington, D.C. later that night and they closed off all of the the roads and so Chris Rock and Diplo walked six miles allegedly in the desert hitchhiked and Diplo eventually made his set but they uh, posted about it on Instagram so that kind of shows you the transformation of Burning Man uh, into a more, more buzzy, yeah. more buzzy uh, situation. Yeah, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg's been, Elon Musk goes almost every single year. He did not go this past year, though. Yeah, tickets are $575. But the interesting thing about Burning Man is that there's no real money uh, that is passed back and forth. It's a more of a gift and bartering system. So it's actually a very interesting social experiment for researchers. Some researchers go there to study how human social networks work and how they form because it's just such an atypical system in the capitalist world that we live in. How does a bartering system work? So that's always an interesting thing is to see how like the gift economy is working. Um, and then also... I just think it's interesting, too, that no, nothing about this is optimized for efficiency. It's all about just serendipity and these transcendental experiences. So, Neil, I, I just have to know, though, too, are, would you would you go? To no, Burning this Man? doesn't interest me. I mean, I would go as, you know, like this sociological experiment, like mm -hmm. so MIT Media Lab sent a, you know, sent a team last year. And I feel like I would be one of those more. I'm always I always love just being, uh, you know, a fly on the wall in these situations. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if I would have this like transcendental experience myself, but I would love to go watch other people do it and kind of study the informal economy and the ways people interact there. That more interests me than, you know, doing the whole, you know, <laughs> yeah. no shower Sex thing. Sex, drug, and rock days. and roll thing, yeah. All right. Uh, there's no good way to transition from a story on Burning Man to a story about invasive <laughs> species, but I'm just going to let it rip. More than 3,500 harmful invasive species are having a profound impact on the Earth's ecosystems and the global economy, responsible for 60% of all extinctions and costing society $423 billion a year. That is according to a major UN-backed study out yesterday, which warns humans that we need to take this invasive species problem extremely seriously because without exaggeration, they pose a threat to human civilization. Let's first talk about the economic costs, which the study says are quadrupling every decade. The main damage is done through wrecking the food supply. These invaders spread disease, deplete fish reserves, and destroy crops while crushing the biodiversity of an area. 
And the problem is getting worse with more than 200 invasive, I can't even, I'm gonna be saying invasive species a lot this story, so just get used to it. With more than 200 invasive species getting introduced every year. The reason for this is that humans have made traveling across continents so fast, so seamless, that invasive species can easily hitchhike on a cargo ship or commercial plane to a place they're not native to with disastrous effects. Through modern transportation networks, we've supercharged not only the movement of people and goods, but also animals and plants. So yeah, apparently we should be really worried about invasive species. I was just shocked at all the examples that were provided in this report and just how many ways invasive species can impact uh, the economy. I mean, you have fishing grounds that are just choked by these this type of water lily, which is apparently the most invasive species in the world. Power plant pipes that are clogged by zebra mussels. Everyone knows zebra mussels. We all been talking about zebra mussels exactly. for a long time. And then like electrical lines downed by brown tree snakes. Just all these different examples that you wouldn't expect and how they can impact everything from the food supply to infrastructure. And another thing that I thought was interesting too is that how some species are very native, in quotations, very native, meaning that they just truly can't adapt to these invasive species coming in. And one example is birds in New Zealand make their nests at ground level and they were completely unprepared to fight against the presence of rats which came in mm. via, via the, the shipping industry. And so it's like this very hard thing sometimes for some species are so native that they can't even adapt to handle these new invasive species. So what do you do about it? The report had a few different uh, diff different solutions. The first one they said is prevention. Like we need to step up checks at ports of call and things like that to prevent rats from coming. Black rat is the number one uh, animal invasive species, uh, if you didn't know, coming into the places to begin with. And islands are especially susceptible, like we saw with Maui, with these invasive vegetation that came in that helped spur the wildfire. And then if you can't prevent, if you can't do prevention, which is the number one thing, then you go, you go to er eradication and you just got to kill them all. And there's new technologies that are ways to sort of spot, stop an invasive species in its tracks. Well, one of the ways that eradication uh, can take is that you introduce another species to target the invasive species. Mm. That's a very fine line, though, because sometimes when you do that, if you release a predator into an ecosystem, you're introducing another variable element. And it's backfired before is when like the Harlequin ladybird, which is an Asian native, brought to the U.S. in the earliest 20th century in order to control insect pests. But then it turns out that bird proliferated and became an invasive species itself. So it really is this fine line between, okay, you can introduce a predator to tamp down this invasive species, but then that might predator might do too well and become invasive itself. All this to say, if you see a lantern fly anywhere it. in the East Coast, you like you are supposed to crush it. That is, yeah. that comes from on high. That's not our thing. You definitely have to crush it because it's bad, not only for us, but for it's destroying like the wine industry on Long Island in the Finger, yeah. Finger Lake. 10 states in seven years, Neil. It's so, so yeah, I haven't seen a lantern fly this year, but I, apparently oh, they're, they're so everywhere. bad. They're all over. I just live in the studio. <laughs> no. All right, moving on to our next story. The singer and business mogul, Jimmy Buffett, died at 76 over the weekend from Merkel cell cancer. It was sad news for as many fans known as parrot heads, but as Buffett said himself, if there's a heaven for me, I'm sure it has a beach attached. And that was Buffett's whole appeal, using his style of Caribbean-infused country rock music to whisk you away from your 95 to a white sand beach in the imagined paradise of Margaritaville, which was more a state of mind than a real place. 
But while he preached a beach bum lifestyle, Buffett himself was not wasting away at Margaritaville, more like grinding away. Buffett turned the concept of Margaritaville into a licensing business empire, attaching his brand to things like pickleball paddles, luxury resorts, retirement villages, cannabis goods, RV camps, salad dressings, you could go on. Forbes recently calculated he was a billionaire from his sprawling ventures. And honestly, I think Buffett's Margaritaville brand will end up being more of his legacy than his music, which I, I went through his whole discography yesterday. Unbelievable. <laughs> it <was> okay. <laughs> well, it's a good vibe. We were playing it too. Yeah. Just, it's perfect background music, especially when the sun's shining. But yeah, I mean, his business empire was expansive and sprawling of the $1 billion, just 5% came from his actual music catalog. So it really does go to show how big he became and how big this lifestyle became. Mm -hmm. I just want to go through some of the other things. You you hit some, you got the Margaritaville themed condominiums, resorts, retirement communities, which I love too, because it's advertised for the 55 and better crowd. It's just a classic thing. Margaritaville restaurant chains in airports, which I have been to. and then cruises as well that go from Palm Beach to the Bahamas. So he truly was all over the place and very sprawling. And then this is my favorite Jimmy Buffett story is that obviously he's got the same last name as Warren Buffett. And so the two actually took a DNA test in 2018 to see if they were related because Jimmy Buffett's like, I got such good business acumen, so do you. Turns out they weren't related, but then Warren Buffett jokingly said that, asked Jimmy to keep me in his will. So it's kind of like this full circle moment where, yeah. That's very fun. Another thing that I found was he was a big writer Oh. He was a big writer. He was a novelist and a nonfiction writer. And he's only one of six writers with like John Steinbeck and Ernest Hemingway to appear on both the New York Times' fiction and nonfiction bestseller list. The dude could do it all. He was, I, It's just kind of like a little hypocritical. I got to say, he's telling everyone through his music to like, take it easy, take <laughs> it chill, don't worry about work. Meanwhile, he's literally a, a workaholic and he's doing all of these business deals. He's writing books he's being a super successful author so he's a billionaire i mean i don't know it's a little it's a little interesting to to hear what he's saying yeah uh what he's saying in his music but uh margaritaville times square we have to talk about that because (laughs) i've been three times it is a 370 million dollar operation up there and it opened in 2021 it was by far his biggest business venture Mm -hmm. uh at that price tag and it recently filed for bankruptcy actually uh, because I don't know why they opened it in 2021 when Times Square was still getting back. And they think it's going to be okay. But I, I've been there a few times. It's actually, I, I say I went ironically. And then when I'm there, I'm like, hey, this is actually pretty. Fun. I really want to go as well. And I think it was because one of Jimmy Buffett's friends said, until you take New York, like you haven't done anything mm. yet. So I think it was kind of his white whale. He definitely wanted to have a presence there because if you make it in New York, you can make it anywhere, baby. All right, Neil, before we jump into the next story, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, Neil, we're coming off a long weekend, which means it's time for our Winners of the Weekend segment, where we peruse the weekend's news and pick out two stories from people that had an especially good Labor Day break. Neil, you won the pre-show foot race, so you're up first. Who is your winner? My winner is the head coach of the University of Colorado's football team, Deion Sanders. So many of you might know Deion as an incredible athlete. He's the only person ever to play in both a Super Bowl and a World Series, but he's making a name for himself as a football coach. 
Coach Prime, as he calls himself, was hired by Colorado last year to an astronomical five-year contract worth $29.5 million, and he's already turned college football upside down. After winning just one game last year, Colorado brought in nearly 90 new players during the offseason, and in their first game this year on Saturday, stunned powerhouse TCU in Texas. The hype is only building in Boulder. Football season tickets sold out for the first time since 1996, and ticket prices for Colorado's home opener versus Nebraska next week have spiked more than 1,500% than last year. The guy also puts on a show wherever he goes, so it's no surprise that Amazon is following Coach Prime in his first season as Colorado coach for an upcoming docus for an upcoming docuseries. Toby, this is definitely one of the most fun sports stories right now. He's electric. Every time he's on the mic, too, it's, it's just a new soundbite. My favorite part of this story, though, is that so he signed this big coaching contract five-year deal 29.5 million dollars the the colorado athletic director says we don't have the money yet at the time that they signed the deal but i know we'll have it so i'm not worried about that piece and everyone was just like quote tweeting and saying this is a ponzi scheme like that's exactly what like bernie madoff would mm. say is oh we don't have the money yet but we'll have it but sure enough the money is pouring in uh they already had a record year of donations they raised 28 million dollars which is up eight million dollars from the year prior so when you make a bet on this huge public figure like on Sanders, you want to see more money coming in, want to see more yeah. hype around the program, and they're clearly it's like a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, Colorado's a great football school. They love football up there, so and they've been just dormant for so long. So it's exciting to see them back. Okay, one final thing on how he's running the program too. They don't have captains, which is like a typical thing you have on a sports team. They have L's and D's, which stand for leaders and dogs. So they they literally come up with to like the pre show uh, pre game coin toss not with the C on their jerseys, but with an L or a D on there. Wait, what is a dog? A, a dog. You're like a D-O-W-G, like you're just a dog. <laughs> is it less than a leader? No, it's just like someone who grinds it out, oh. someone who's like very nitty-gritty. It's a little different from a leader, but it's adjacent. Again, just like a, a totally funny... What's the optimal L to D <laughs> ratio on a team? I think you want a few Ls and then like mostly a lot D's. of Ds, mostly Ds. Okay, yeah. so like 1090? Leader or a dog. All right, yeah. now I'm just taking coaching tips from Coach Prime. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, Neil, my winner of the weekend is the legend herself, Mariah Carey. You know how we ask each other every uh, Friday, is it a fast week? week or a slow week. Well, Neil, I have a fast year moment for you. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You pulled in 316,000 streams on Saturday, which is a 75% increase over the same day in 2022. And turns out the Queen of Christmas owes it all to the Philippines. Spotify charts show the song was streamed 112,000 times on September 1st within the country because apparently the majority of the majority Catholic Philippines starts celebrating Christmas absurdly early. There really isn't a great reason for it either. Filipinos just love Christmas, so they start celebrating as soon as the burr months, September, <laughs> October, November, December begin. Neil, one, who knew the Philippines went this hard for Christmas? And two, talking about Christmas already just feels so wrong to me. Yeah, it's so hot in here <laughs> right so now. so hot, yeah. Well, look, good for them. I would say uh, I would hold off as much as long as possible for Christmas music. You know, I don't like to preempt myself. Like, I feel like I'd get sick of it by November if I start listening to it now, and I don't want to ever get sick of it. So good for them. It's not my cup of tea, but... um. 
Good for Mariah Carey. That's very funny that uh, people are starting to crank Christmas right. music right now on September 1st. So a few years ago, The Economist did a study around how much money the song brings in for Mar Mariah Carey. And from 1994 to 2016, they said she made $60 million just off this song, mm. which is around $2.6 million every single year. So, I mean, I don't want to be a hater, but it's not even close to the best Christmas song. It's not I just close, feel like but it's, it's become, it's become yeah. like a meme and, and a tradition at this point that, you know, you just wait for it. But I don't think anyone actually kind of listens to on there. I like it. It gives me like the, that tingly feeling. That's what you want. All right, Neil, for our next story, I want to tell you about the diamond market. We know that lab-grown diamonds have become increasingly popular over the years, but they're now becoming so popular, it's sending the price of real diamonds into a tailspin. Rough diamonds, which are diamonds that haven't been cut yet, are in a pricing free fall. In June 2022, diamond seller De Beers was charging around 1400 per carat for select makeable diamonds, which are the type that make it into wedding rings. But by July this year, that had dropped to just $850 a carat. Now, De Beers is denying that lab-grown diamonds are the problem, saying that while there has been a little bit of cannibalization, they see the real issue as a macroeconomic issue. But still, the pricing collapse is pretty dizzying and has the industry finally coming to terms with the existential threat of lab-grown diamonds. So, Neil, which side do you kind of land on here? Is it just that people are spending less money on luxury goods, or is there a wider trend that people are leaning towards lab growing over rough probably it. both um, because lab grown diamonds have have grown so much in popularity since 2018 they were just two percent of the market and now they're 10 percent of the market but it does seem like there's a broader uh shift or maybe not a shift but a blip because of covid of a lot fewer people getting engaged in buying engagement rings like the price of lab grown diamonds has fallen even more than regular diamonds and uh, signet jewelers which i didn't know uh, they own like literally every jeweler, like K and what a bunch of the other ones that you Zales, Jared, uh, Diamonds Direct. Uh, they own Signet Jewelers owns all of them, and they're saying that like we have seen engagement ring sales plummet um, from in like 2022, 2023 because no one got engaged because no one became couples in 2020, and the average time that it takes from a couple formation to an engagement is about 3.5 years. So we're gonna be in a slump from 2023 to 2024 because of those per that period during COVID. So it does seem like there is a little bit of a secular decline in this overall engagement ring industry. David's Bridal just went bankrupt uh, last year. So I, I, I'm just curious about this lab-grown diamond thing. Like, will Because prices, basically you can mass produce this in a lab. They are identical to regular diamonds, mm -hmm. but will they get too cheap to the point where it's like, okay, well, I'm not really spending much on a diamond, you know, an engagement ring, but the whole point is like a signaling factor that like I can spend much, I yeah. can spend this amount. So I don't know like where this all shakes out. De Beers thinks that there's going to be like a high end market for actual diamonds and then like kind of like the low end market for lab grown diamonds and they're just going to be completely different. So I haven't let you talk at all. So yeah, go. no, they are behind that. De Beers is this big marketing, uh, like they've created the rough cut diamond industry and they started selling its own lab grown diamonds in 2018 and they intentionally sold it at a steep discount price in order to create yeah. that that kind of uh, juxtaposition because yes they want the 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 rough cut diamond to be like this thing that signifies your forever love 
put it in a different category than the the lab growing diamonds because it helps them because they control the the rough cut diamond market. So I think you're totally right on that psychological right. difference that they want to hammer home. But there might just be too much of a stigma with regular diamonds or, uh, going forward because of all of the ethical baggage and right. slave I mean, labor that goes into actually it's, getting those. It's a rough time for the, the rough cut diamond market. <laughs> well done. All right. Um, <laughs> let's go finally to our week ahead segment. We usually do that on Monday, but it, it's still the first, uh, it's still the first day of the week. So let's do a little preview of what to expect this week. There's a lot going on, but first I got to start with football is back. The NFL season kicks off Thursday night with the defending champs, Kansas City Chiefs, taking on the Detroit Lions. Then on Sunday, we'll all hit the couch for a full slate of week one games. Highly recommend Red Zone for seven straight hours of commercial free football very curious about the quality of our Monday morning podcast once football comes back, honestly. <laughs> um, I have a fantasy football draft tonight, too. Oh, really? So I'm, I'm locked in, baby. All right, keeping it in the sports world, the U.S. Open rolls into its final week. Tennis fans are drooling over a potential Djokovic versus Alcaraz final, but American players are really making the hometown crowd proud in New York. Three U.S. men have reached the quarterfinals for the first time since 2005, and on the women's side, 19-year-old Coco Goff became the first team to reach consecutive U.S. Open quarterfinal rounds since Serena Williams more than two decades ago, and she is the favorite. Um, I can't wait. We're going later this week. Um, it should be. A I can't blast. believe Coco Goff is 19 years old. It feels like she's been around forever because remember she burst on the scene when she was 16. She's still 19 years old. Crazy. She's playing lights out. You go, Glo uh You go. <laughs> Thank you. You want to? You want to hit that for you? Real? Go, Glenn Coco. There you go. Um, on Wednesday, we get one of the most highly anticipated video game releases of the year. Famed video game publisher Bethesda will will release Starfield, its first new gaming universe in 25 years. This game spoke. This game's scope is utterly massive, featuring more than 1,000 environments to. Playing and three million lines of dialogue. I mean, is I, I wonder where AI is going to come into play in this. I think they just wrote that that much dialogue. But have you, were you ever a Starfield guy or no? I don't know what Starfield is. <laughs> I'm so out to lunch on video games. <laughs> All right, what is Starfield? Let's buy it. I I think it's just like a big like. A economy galactic economy game where you like buy ships and stuff i could be way off too though i i know i've read a little bit about starfield but haven't been but bethesda is like this hallowed publisher uh so and this is their first new ip in 25 years crazy so it should be really really cool uh let's move on to some other stuff olivia rodrigo's dropping her second album guts Cannot wait for that. The singles have been tremendous. <laughs> we, we rated them. We, we listened and rated them. Yeah. We're, we're Olivia Rodrigo fans here. Yep. Uh, National Read a Book Day is Wednesday, and I can't wait to finish the overstory so I can get <laughs> so I can get to the next book on my list. I've been reading that for about six months. Um, it's coming up on fall, so definitely head to, okay, so head to Smoky Mountains Fall Foliage Map to plan your leaf peeping trip. This is the Bible of of fall foliage maps go to smokymountains.com fall foliage google that and it'll show you exactly when all the different regions will peak um so it should be should be a blast uh, growing up growing up in florida this oh, yeah. never even on my radar at all so i might i might go take a peep all right finally while we're on the weather beat it's going to really feel uh super hot this week because there's a heat dome baking the central and eastern u.s so uh you know, I guess that fall foliage thing will be a few weeks out or a little delayed because 
I'm drenched right now. Like, All right, what? No, no, I was going to say the cognitive dissonance of listening to Mariah Carey while a heat <laughs> dome is sitting over us is, is going to be interesting. All right, that is our show for today. Have a great start to the week and stay cool, everyone. As always, we love to hear from you, so send any and all thoughts to Morning Brew Daily at morningbrew.com. Let's roll the credits. Emily Milliner is our editor and producer. Samantha Velas and Raymond Liu are associate producers. Uchenawa Ogu is our technical director. Billy Menino is on audio. Hair and makeup is still in the shower after getting back from Burning Man. Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow. <laughs>